Well, it's so good to be with you all this Easter morning. Um, and while this isn't the ideal way for us to gather, I am grateful we can still connect in this way. At the beginning of last year, I never envisioned that we would be gathering in this format uh, for two Easter's in a row. And all of this uh, was unexpected. You know, this past year has brought so many unexpected challenges and adjustments and losses. And so before we jump in, uh, I want to invite you to reflect on this question. Uh, when you think about an unexpected experience or an adjustment that you had to navigate this past year, uh, what emotions or feelings come up for you in response to what was unexpected? Right? It could have been something positive or something difficult, but I'll give you a moment to reflect on that at home. Uh, and if you're comfortable and willing, please offer your thoughts on the live chat. You know, one of the, the more obvious uh, unexpected adjustments that I had to navigate last year, as many of you did as well, uh, was having our entire family in lockdown at home. At first, it was fun. You know, we got to do things together that we normally didn't do, like doing puzzles and playing board games. But then days turned into weeks and then into months. And then we realized we were all going to be at home while trying to figure out school and work and meetings and social calls, basically every aspect of our lives. And like many of you, we experienced our share of unexpected slash embarrassing Zoom moments. Uh, I remember one time when I was doing some yard work uh, and had my headphones in and I was coming back into the house through the door right next to Rachel's work desk. And as soon as I opened the door, I saw her hand reaching out to me. So I just assumed, oh, she's greeting me. So I'll give her a kiss. And as I leaned over her laptop to give her a kiss, I saw my face take up her entire computer screen on a Zoom window. So when she was reaching out her hand, she wasn't greeting me. She was trying to push me away so I wouldn't show up on her video in the middle of a PTA meeting. But over the course of the year, what was originally an unexpected disruption of our rhythm ended up moving us to a place of curiosity as we had to discover how to function in this new way of life. And through that process, we began to find ways to stay grounded, even in the midst of an unexpected disruptive season. And on this Easter morning, you know, many of us are familiar with this story. And yet for the women and the disciples, what happened that first Easter morning was completely unexpected. They were unaware of what was unfolding and happening as they were experiencing it. And I wonder if we might be able to hold a similar posture this morning and consider the unexpected nature of the resurrection. And so the question I wanna reflect on this Easter Sunday is how does the unexpected nature of the resurrection offer us an opportunity toward groundedness and good news? And the text we'll be looking at uh, is the Gospel of John's account of the resurrection and how it plays out in an unexpected way. And so we start in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? 
She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. You know, before this encounter, Mary had already been at the tomb earlier in the morning when it was still dark. And when she first found the stone rolled away and the tomb empty, she assumed that the body had been taken or even stolen. And so she ran back to tell the disciples. And Peter and another disciple ran to the tomb to see for themselves. And it's interesting to see how they each responded to this empty tomb. Because none of them considered the possibility that Jesus had resurrected. That wasn't their first thought. Peter and the other disciples seemed shocked and confused, and they simply headed back home, not quite sure how to process it. But Mary stays outside the tomb and remains in her grief and loss. And when she does go back and look into the tomb, she sees two angels. And what really stands out to me is that the angels ask Mary a question, which is interesting because they know what's happened. They know Jesus isn't in the tomb anymore because he's alive. They could have easily announced the resurrection to Mary. They could have told her there was no need to cry anymore. But they ask her a question. Why are you weeping? They offer her space to process her grief and her questions around this unexpected empty tomb. And for us on this Easter Sunday, just as Mary lingered at the empty tomb, we're also invited to linger and mourn and ask questions of the losses that we carry with us even on this day. And I know our desire and tendency is to to jump ahead to the joy and celebration of resurrection, but this is a reminder that it's okay. It's okay for us to linger in the space of our loss and grief. If that's how you come into this Easter Sunday, that's the invitation for you. And I just want to name that. You know, for me, like all of us, we've navigated and experienced an extremely difficult and painful year. We had an unexpected pandemic that created losses on many levels, lost family members and friends, lost connections and community. And my son essentially lost his senior year of high school. And then on top of that, the unexpected loss and resignations of half of our pastoral team was difficult for me to navigate. Not only in terms of continuing to offer care and leadership for this beautiful community, but trying to do that in the midst of relational breakdown was painful at times. And then the recent growing racial hostility and violence towards the Asian American community. You know, it brought to the forefront for me uh, an unexpected loss of what I thought was my place and belonging in majority white culture. You know, growing up, I thought if I just kept my head down and bought into the myth of the model minority, I wouldn't be seen as an outsider. But it's now becoming more and more clear to me that even though I've tried my best for my entire life to assimilate, I will never fully belong in majority culture and I can no longer hide in the shadows. 
My silence has only affirmed that reality for those of us in the API community. And then we're told by majority culture that we have to speak out loudly in order to be noticed and heard, but that also doesn't feel authentic to my culture and who I am. And so I feel stuck in this bind where I'm losing who I am either way. And so for me on this Easter Sunday, more than any other year, I find myself more willing to linger by the tomb, to linger in all the unexpected losses I've experienced and carried this year, to mourn and to wonder. But the grief and loss that had been greeted with silence on Good Friday and Holy Saturday is now met with accompaniment on Easter. And that's what's grounding for me, is that even in resurrection, God gives us the space to continue to express our grief, patiently and gently walking with us and waiting until we're ready, just like we see with Mary. And that's why I'm so grateful that we had the Holy Week gallery at Vesper this past week. I mean, it was such a beautiful and meaningful way to be in our space again after over a year. And as I reflected on each photo and each piece of artwork, I could sense the accompaniment of navigating all this grief and loss collectively together with you all. And for us, maybe a practice we can try this week is to continue holding space for both the unexpected losses that we've experienced and at the same time, reflecting on the ways in which we've been accompanied. If it's helpful, maybe just imagine yourself lingering at the empty tomb, right outside, and then write out all the unexpected losses and grief this past year has brought. And then list the names of those who have accompanied you in them. And so they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And then we continue in verse 14. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom? Are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And so at first, you know, Mary is unaware that Jesus is there. It doesn't recognize him even when she sees him. And embarrassingly, it reminds me of a time when we were meeting at Space 12, our old building. And during the passing of the piece, uh, Marcos Acosta, uh, who's helping run the slides today, uh, was in line getting some coffee. And if you know him, he's got this wonderful, lush beard and wears glasses. But on that particular Sunday, he had shaved his beard and was not wearing glasses. And I didn't recognize him. So I introduced myself to him just to be hospitable. 
I said, hey, I'm Waylon. Nice to meet you. What's your name? And he just looks at me, not sure how to respond, thinking that maybe I was playing some weird game with him. And he said, it's me, Marcos. And I'm still trying to live that one down even to this day. But in the resurrection story, when Mary doesn't recognize Jesus, he doesn't immediately tell her that it's him. Instead, he continues to offer her space in her grief. And it shouldn't be lost on us that the first person Jesus chose to reveal his resurrection to was a woman. That in itself was a statement against the patriarchal society they were embedded in. He was establishing a new social order through this unexpected choice of revealing his resurrection. And when Mary mistakenly takes Jesus for the gardener, there's a deeper symbolic reference, right? It, it's a callback to the original creation story and the garden that God created for humanity to enjoy. And now here, the original gardener has returned to tend to this broken world. And Jesus is pulling the weeds of patriarchy, the weeds of oppression and violence that have overgrown and hidden the original beauty of this world. And for us on this Easter Sunday, as Jesus revealed himself in an unexpected way to an unexpected person, we're invited to discover and experience the ways that Jesus is reclaiming the original garden back for us. You know, in this interaction, by choosing to reveal his resurrection to her first, Jesus is reclaiming for Mary that she is an equal as a woman who is made in the image of God. He says her name in a way that reclaims for her how she is fully known and fully loved. That's what the original garden was about. God offered belonging for all in spite of the unique distinctions that we were created with. But over time, the weeds of othering and scapegoating led to oppression and violence against those who were seen as different or less than. And Jesus enters this world and through his life, death and resurrection, he offers a new way of living. He's reclaiming the garden where there is no distinction between who belongs. Uh, you know, one of the many documentaries that I watched this past year was one called Feels Good, Man. And it follows the story of Matt Fury, uh, the artist who originally created the drawing and character Pepe the Frog back in 2005. And Fury, uh, who is a comic artist, created Pepe and a few other characters based off of himself and his friends. And it was just his way of capturing friendship and his love of art. And then over time, his creation goes on a wild journey and gets co-opted by the alt-right and white nationalists and becomes their mascot. And he was completely powerless to stop it, especially in the virtual world of internet memes. And it was a devastating and unexpected loss to see his creation 
turn into a symbol of the darkest kind of hate and violence. And at one point, he actually wrote the death of Pepe into his comic as a way to hopefully shut the whole thing down for good. But unfortunately, even that didn't have an impact. And yet, there has been movement recently to rebirth and reclaim Pepe as a symbol of hope and love. In 2019, when Hong Kong was having pro-democracy protests throughout the city, the protesters reclaimed Pepe the Frog for their movement that was advocating for justice and equality. And so what's grounding for me is that in resurrection, Jesus as the original gardener has gone to great lengths to reclaim the original garden for us, to restore the original goodness and beauty in each of us and offer a path toward restoration and healing so that we can experience the reality that we are fully known and fully loved by God. And for us, maybe something we can practice this week is just to notice and observe the gardens and natural landscape around us. I mean, it was just a little over a month ago that the winter storm killed most of our vegetation and even some of our trees. And yet there are already signs of rebirth in my yard, in my garden. And as we sit with and reflect on the restoration that's happening through our plants, maybe we can consider how we are invited to a path of healing and restoration that Jesus offers us. And so Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And then we close in verse 17. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. And so Jesus finishes his conversation with Mary uh, with yet another unexpected development by telling her he's ascending back up to the Father, which must have continued the roller coaster of emotions and processing. You know, first Mary thinks Jesus' body has been taken and lost, and then the resurrected Jesus appears behind her, and then now he's not staying but leaving. And it almost has a feel of a Korean drama series, which I may or may not have been watching with my family on Netflix. But I would imagine that Mary and the disciples are confused and wondering why Jesus would return in resurrection only to leave again so soon. But the ascension of Jesus can sometimes be an overlooked aspect of his life. We focus on his birth, death, and resurrection. And with the ascension, Jesus is inviting Mary and the disciples to continue his work of restoration and healing. They and us are to become the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. And so for us on this Easter Sunday, just as Jesus communicated his unexpected departure to Mary, we're also reminded that 
that we have been entrusted to continue his work. We are the ones who are remaining for the work to be done here and now. And what is the work we're invited to participate in and continue? You know, when we take a look back at Jesus' very first teaching, he preaches from Isaiah 61, where he talks about good news that's meant for the oppressed and the brokenhearted and the captives, that there will be freedom and comfort and healing for those experiencing unjust violence. And then his whole life revolves around marginalized communities and people. He advocates for those who have no voice. He seeks out those who society has tried to hide and ignore. And then in his death, Jesus chooses to absorb the scapegoating and violence of this world. And he responds with nonviolence. He chooses to be on the receiving end of violence in order to end the cycle of violence. And in this world, empire and power will silence victims, sometimes having them killed. And in his death, Jesus was silenced. But in his resurrection, he brings back the voice of the forgiving victim. And this is the work Jesus invites us into. To establish and to highlight the perspective and voice of the oppressed and victimized. To continue his model of nonviolence, forgiveness, grace, and love, which honestly is humanly impossible. And that's why Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to help us in this work. And so what's grounding for me is that in resurrection, even though I feel incapable or I don't think I have the capacity, Jesus entrusts me and us with the work of bringing peace and healing into a world that naturally descends to conflict and violence. And the fact that Jesus chooses to share this work with us is an encouraging invitation that we are capable of sharing in his work because there is still much work to be done. You know, it's been an emotional week with the start of the trial of the officer who was charged with the murder of George Floyd. And listening to testimony and seeing how witnesses responded to the video footage and questions they were asked was sometimes too much to watch and bear. And at the same time, these witnesses have become the voice for a man who was unjustly murdered. These voices help acknowledge and draw attention to the experience of the oppressed and brokenhearted to name the racist policing that has held black and brown communities captives in their own neighborhoods. That is the work Jesus is entrusting to us. And how are we becoming the voice for the oppressed? How are we continuing the work of Jesus to bring restoration and healing and justice to those who need it the most? And so on this Easter Sunday, and as we move into the Easter season, this unexpected resurrection 
is what moves us and invites us towards the God who fully knows and fully loves us. That's the good news, that we have a God who enters our suffering and absorbs our violence and chooses redemptive suffering to break the cycle. And in his resurrection, he entrusts us to continue his work of restoration and healing so that we can reclaim the original garden that God created for us. And so let me close with this prayer that was offered by Black Liturgies, which is written by Cole Arthur Riley. God who knew death, when we take account of the tragedies of the world, it is difficult to believe there is a powerful and loving God with us. There is so much we wish you would intervene in to bring justice and healing now. We trust that you are a God who is patient with these doubts, a God who is not threatened by our unbelief, but draws near to us in it. Help us toward an understanding of you that includes tension and mystery. Let us be empathetic with our souls, which have endured so much suffering and have a right to ask deep questions of our maker. But as we do, let us find an empathy for you, a God who is no stranger to suffering, but endures all things with us that we might find full liberation. Let our doubts lead us into deeper intimacy with the divine as we tell the truth of the questions that plague us. And so we ask all this in the love of our creator, the forgiveness of the resurrected Christ and the accompaniment of the Holy Spirit. Amen.